morning. We got a new mic today, so uh, we're grateful for all of our sound people that do things so well. Um, I'd like you to begin this morning, if you would, um, pull out your uh, teaching outline or just any piece of paper, and uh, there should be a pen in front, and uh, just pull out a, a sheet of paper and a pen. And what I'd like you to do is up on the upper left-hand side of that piece of paper, if you would, I'd like you to put uh, the year you were born, so 19-whatever. Now, you can strategically keep that from the people around you so they don't see uh, what that date is, okay? But in the upper left-hand corner, if you can put the year that you were born, and then in the right beside it, I'd like you to put a dash, and then two zero, and then two blanks, okay? So uh, if you can do that, that'll be great. I'll go ahead and I'll do mine up here uh, on this sheet, okay? Just wanted to see if you were paying attention, okay? But yours should look something like that, and I'll give you my real one here, okay? So all of you should have something that looks a little bit like that. And the reality is, folks, all of us have a date in which we were born, and we all have a date uh, when we will no longer be here. And uh, this first date, our birth date, uh, is a special day. It's a day that uh, we always get excited about. Does anyone have a birthday today, May 1st? Anyone just raise your hand. Okay. Well, since you don't, you don't get a $5 gift certificate to Dairy Queen, okay? Uh, Otherwise, like, next time I do that, everyone's going to raise their hand, I can tell. But uh, every one of us have these two dates in our life. We have our birth date and then uh, the date in which we uh, will no longer be here on earth. And the reality is, is that most of us live in denial when it comes to this second date. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to think about it. Uh, we don't even like to think that there will actually uh, be a date that will be up there. But be, be for sure, folks, that this date will come, the second date that's there. Now, the important piece that I want you to focus on uh, today is this dash that's right in the middle. Because the reality is that you don't have control of the date that you were born. You know what I mean? Like you didn't just say, hey, I think I want to be born on May 1st. Welcome, world, you know. I mean, that didn't happen. Um, And you won't have control over uh, what that date is. But you have tons of control of what you're going to do and what your life will look like um, with the dash. And so the big question that I want to ask you this morning is this. What are you going to do with your dash? When it comes down to it, what are you going to do with your dash? You know, wise people have reflected for a long time about this whole kind of issue. And there's actually a guy in the Bible, a guy who wrote uh, some of the Psalms, in Psalm 90, and... uh, This is what he wrote. He said, God, you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. It goes by that fast. The the psalmist is writing that he says, grass in this time of year, that uh, in the place where he's writing from, uh, it happens like that. And then there's this magnificent statement that uh, begins next, and I'd like us all to read it together. It begins with the word teach, and let's read it together. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The psalmist just kind of writes, he says, Life is unspeakably precious, and it's unbelievably short. And what's so amazing about it is that for so many of us, we don't number our days right. 
We don't live in wisdom. We waste these precious lives that we've been given on stupid things. Like worrying about, what will people think about me? We get mad at somebody and we stew about it and we hold on to that resentment for years and years. We live in fear that uh, something bad's going to happen to us that, in more, that more often than not will never even come down the pike. I walk through days every single day with blinders on my eyes and I miss the beauty that God has all around me. And every day in this world, people come to this final date. And the reality is that they have just thrown their own life away and they can't even tell you what for. Last week we began this brand new series called Life is Too Short. And last week I talked about the fact that life is too short to go it alone. And we said that there was this huge ladder that was up here. And we said that for many of us, what we want to do is we want to climb up the ladder so that we can get connected with God. And we said that the key of a relationship with God is simply laying your ladder down. And last uh, week there were hundreds of people that laid ladders down in the back underneath crosses. And we said, God, we lay our ladder down because, God, we need you to come from, you know, up there, down here to take care of us. To meet us at our greatest need. So God, show us how to lay our ladder down. So, that was last week. And this week, what I want to talk about is that life is too short to play it safe. Life is just way too short to play it safe all the time. Now, I want to uh, ask you a question this morning as we begin on this topic. And the question is this. What is the most dangerous object in your house? Okay? So, look to the person beside you. And uh, I'd like you to uh, just ask them real quickly, okay? What is the most dangerous object in their house? Okay, now Larry Loudon, who is a uh, professor at the University of Hawaii, a professor of philosophy, that would be a great place to study philosophy, wouldn't it? Hawaii? It's like, ah, you know. And uh, he's written a book about risk, and he focuses one whole chapter on this concept of uh, what are the most dangerous objects in our house. And some of them are, uh, we could understand. Uh, here's household dangers. 460,000 people cut themselves with knives in the United States every year. Manual and power saws account for 100,000 injuries each year. That's why I don't keep any of those in my house whatsoever. You know? I wouldn't know how to use them if you know me well enough. But. Now, some of these will surprise you. Anybody here have draperies in your house? Twenty people die every year getting tangled up in the cords that are on the draperies. And this statement, it kind of, uh, it's directly from the book, but it shocked me. He said, annually, some 4,000 of us seriously get injured on pillows. Not lying, it's in the book, okay? Like, I don't, he doesn't explain what happens. I don't know, like, you get the zipper there on the side and, whoo, you know, I don't. I don't know what happens, but, but something, you know. And uh, so I just want to ask you this morning, what do you think is the most dangerous object in your house? So uh, a couple of guys here are going to bring up what I think might be uh, one of those. Uh, they're coming. Let's give uh, these guys a hand. Give them a hand. Now, this is not just any chair, right? 
we have a particular name for this type of chair. It's called a what? An easy chair, right? Yeah, a lazy boy. Some of you said recline. It's easy. Because things that you do in this chair, you don't want it to be difficult. You want it to be easy, right? And uh, we often sit in this chair for one reason, one reason only. Why is that? To watch TV. <laughs> you know, after seven years, I thought I would have done something, God, but uh, I guess I really haven't. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, comfort, right? You sit in that chair because you want to feel comfort. Now, I want to kind of paint a picture this morning for you of how I think that if we're not careful, um, this whole concept of comfort and this particular chair can be the most dangerous object uh, in our home. But to do this, uh, I'm going to need a volunteer. It will not take anything real difficult. In fact, it will be the easiest job of ever volunteering. So would anyone take a chance? Hold your hand up to be a volunteer. I promise. It will not be painful. All right? I don't see any. Come on up here, gentlemen in the red shirt. You can come on up here. Or maroon. Looks close. Okay. Now, what's your name? Mike. Mike, let's all give Mike a hand for volunteering. Okay, Mike, now, today what I want you to be able to do is I want you to show to everyone how comfortable and how relaxed you can be. By the time that they leave today, they would look upon you and they would say, that is heavenly bliss. I wish I was there, okay? Think you can do that? I, I can do that. Okay, well, why don't you take a seat there, okay, and we're going to try to help you a little bit. If you would, why don't you take your shoes off? I've got some slippers here, and uh, take those off right there, and uh, when you're ready, you can just put these slippers on. Um, I can tell you that they've hardly been worn, um, yeah, good luck on that one. And uh, we want to make you feel as comfortable as you can. You feel a little bit more comfortable? They fit okay? Okay, that's nice. Good. Okay, there's a uh, lever there on the side. If you'll just kind of flick that up. Ah, doesn't that look better? That looks good. All right. And um, now, uh, yeah, he's a little too relaxed. See, that's good. That's good. All right. You feeling okay? Okay, so I'm good. And um, now, we often know that when we have uh, food... Uh, we eat certain kind of food, right, um, because uh, it tastes good and makes us feel good, and we call this kind of food what? Comfort food, right. So, um, um, Mike, I've got Twinkies for you. Do, you. do you like Twinkies? You do Twinkies? Okay. Would you like a Twinkie? Okay. Well, we're going we're gonna to get right there just for you, okay? We want you to be comfortable. Now, I don't know if this happens with guys. Maybe it does. But women, there's one thing when you're trying to feel comfortable. You like chocolate, right? So uh, we're going to give you a little chocolate. Boy, you're doing good. Real good. Here, we'll look. I've got to be stronger than the, the stuff here. There. And uh, I want to help you out a little bit. So you got your chocolate, you got your Twinkies, and uh, here's a cold water, bodily fresh. There you go. All right. Now, uh, you feel a little bit more comfortable? Okay, good. We're glad you're enjoying that. Now, every man who sits in this chair, you need something uh, a little bit more. Are you used to that? Yeah. Remote? Okay, good. Looking good? Looks good? Looks comfortable? Now, um, there's only one more thing that I think we could do, and that is if we could just have like a little mute music, you know, that would relax Mike a little bit. So, uh, Mikey, why don't you go ahead? All right, there you go. So now, now, let me just ask you. 
Does this guy right now look like he's ready to just jump up? Little Mikey's ready to jump up and just like get into action and to live an adventurous life? No. And, uh, I mean, do you think he's just going to explode, you know, into wanting to, to grow in his life, grow in his relationship with God? If God were to ask little Mikey right now, you know, uh, uh, to do some real difficult thing for God, do you think he could just uh, just go ahead and do it? Um. <laughs> oh, you need another Twinkie? There you go. And what I want you to do right now is I want you to think of your own life. If your life was primarily devoted to this chair, to maximizing your level of comfort and rest, minimizing any kind of stress problems, if that was the primary purpose of your life, is that enough for you to jump out of bed in the morning and look with anticipation of exactly what God wants you to do with your life? I mean, the reality is if we let Mike here sit for the whole time, do you think he'd even last through the whole celebration or would he fall asleep? Yeah, he'd probably fall asleep. So I'm sorry, Mike, but you've got to go. <laughs> you've worn your welcome and uh, I hope you felt comfortable, but you can take your, <laughs> take your Twinkie. And it's, it's time to leave there. There you go. Here, could you do this faster, though? You know? <laughs> All right, let's give Mike a hand for... Uh... I want to tell you this morning why I think this might be the most dangerous object in your home. It's not because of what happens when you are sitting there, but it's the things that you don't do. It's the stuff that never happens. It's the relationships that you never deepen. It's the people in your life that uh, you never serve. It's the great desperate prayers that you never pray. It's the noble thoughts that you never think. It's the races that you never run. It's the battles that you never fight. It's the laughter you never laughed. It's the tears that you never cry with a loved one. It's the adventure of life with God that you were made for. That if you stay in the chair, you never get out and experience it. And here's the big statement for this morning. You were made to spend your life in a risky partnership with God. You were made to spend your life in a risky partnership with God. This chair might be the most dangerous object in your home Not for what happens when you're in the chair, but the things that don't happen because you stay there. Folks, life is really easy to uh, just play it safe. But life is too short to play it safe. And when I say that, it's so important for you to understand that I'm not talking about going off and doing stupid things or impulsive things. I'm not saying get out of the chair and, uh, you know, go over Niagara Falls in a barrel or to, uh, you know, uh, invest in the stock market, you know, something like that. It doesn't mean that you should never rest. It isn't a call to exhaustion. It's really about making your ordinary life an adventuresome plan and life with God. It's about waking up in the morning and saying, God, whatever it is that you want me to do this morning, I'm willing to do. Just say the word. Now, in the Bible, there are these uh, 
encounters that happen all the time between human beings and God in which they're called calls. It's a call. These are stories in which God comes to someone and He summons them and gives them an assignment or a task and they're described as call narratives. In other words, stories in which God calls someone to actually do something. To take an ordinary person and have them do extraordinary things. And the Bible says that there are some common components to these call narratives. And the first one is the initial call. The initial call. Because God still calls people today. And the first one is called the initial call. These are calls in which God comes to someone and He asks them to do something or to be with somebody. Now, I want to ask you another question. For those of you who have connected with the Bible, just minimally, how often... Have you ever read in which the Bible says that God does not interrupt someone's life and then ask them to do an easy job? When does God interrupt somebody's life and say, I've got an assignment for you, but it's really easy. It's not that difficult. You'll be able to do it in just a few moments, but uh, here it is. How often does that happen? Let me give you a quick guess. Never! Guys over here going like that. Yeah, exactly. Never. It never happens that way. God never gives anybody an easy job. In fact, there's a whole chapter that is a long laundry list. We won't have time to go through it today. Of people who God calls. It's in Hebrews 11. And all of these people were called to do something big and great, but also difficult and scary for God. And let me just give you a few of the names that, would, that are in that list. The first one is a guy by the name of Noah. God comes to Noah and he says, I want you to build an ark and face the ridicule of the world and restart the whole human race. No problem, right? Then God comes to a guy by the name of Abraham and he says, I want you to leave everything that's familiar to you. Go to a far country and I'll show you it and what to do when you get there. And at the age of 99, God comes to him finally and says, Hey, guess what? I know you haven't had any children, you and your wife, but now's the time. Here's the son. God comes to a guy by the name of Joseph, and he says, I want you to be faithful when you're betrayed, when you're sent to jail, when you're ostracized from your family. I want you to do that. God says to a guy by the name of Moses, he says, I want you to leave a life that's very comfortable. You see, Moses is out uh, shepherding some sheep, taking care of all of them. He says, now, I want you to leave from that place, and I want you to go into Egypt, and I want you, even though I know that you're still a convicted murder, uh, you know, that they're wanting you, um, that uh, I want you to go there and defy Pharaoh, the greatest man in the world. God calls all kinds of people, but He never calls them to just an easy task, a comfortable life. Now, folks, I want you to know that the Bible is very concerned about you. The Bible tells us that God loves you with an unending love. There's never a moment that He doesn't think of you, that He cares about you, that He wants you to grow and feel strong and have courage and do good. But the Bible, the testimony of the Bible, also says that God is not really that concerned about how comfortable your life will be. And it's real important to understand this, that in the world that we live where comfort is everything, where people are like, stay in the chair, go get a condo, go do this, do whatever you can to be comfortable, God isn't as concerned. And sometimes people will think things like this. Well, I followed God, and I said yes to God, and He has not made my life comfortable. He didn't give me all the things that I thought would help me to be secure and safe and well off. And what happens is sometimes people can feel betrayed by God. That their life isn't as easy and comfortable as they want. But God never promises that. 
Folks, God's call generally is to do things that are quite difficult. And that's why the first thing in the story is God issues a call. He gives us something that we may want to do. Here's the second thing. There's a response. There's the initial call, and then there is a response. There's always a response. In almost every case of followers of God, both in the Bible and followers of Christ since the Bible, the person that God interrupts gives his or her kind of initial reaction to God. Now again, for those of you who are somewhat familiar with the Bible, when God uh, comes and He gives someone a hard assignment, how often in the Bible does it say that the person comes back to God and says something like this when it's a difficult, hard assignment? How often does, he say, does the person say, What a great opportunity! I've been looking forward to something hard and difficult. Defy Pharaoh, take on the Midianites, spend the night in the lion's den, walk into the fiery furnace, marry a woman that's pregnant who says she's still a virgin, face tears, floggings, chains, prison, fabulous, what a great challenge. Can I supersize that, you know? Almost always when God responds, you know what the reaction is? Fear. People get afraid. And there are two ways that typically people focus in on this fear. The first one is the fear of inadequacy. The fear of inadequacy. There's a story in the Bible about a guy by the name of Gideon. And it wasn't named after the Bible, people, okay? That's not the same Gideon. It's different Gideon. And God comes to this guy and he says, I want you to save my people from the Midianites, from the enemy. I want you to be my guy that leads you into this battle. But Gideon feels inadequate and he says, but Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. He's saying, God, I feel so inadequate. You talk about dysfunctional families, God. My family's the most dysfunctional of them all. We are the smallest tribe, uh, Manasseh, and I'm the lowest person in this. Here's the second common response that people have. A fear of inadequacy and then a fear of failure. A fear of failure. God asked Moses and uh, some spies to go into a land to see if they could take it. Ten spies. And they come back, and this is what they say. The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. In other words, they're giants. That's what they said. God says, go, look at the land, we'll take the land. And they come back and they say, we can never do it. We ought to go back home. We're going to fail, God. We're going to look worse than we were. We don't want to do it. Maybe the classic one is when Moses is first called to go into Egypt to confront Pharaoh. Moses tells God, folks, get this, Moses, you know, the guy that's on TV almost every single year parting the Red Sea, before that ever happened, he comes to him five different times and he says, no. Hey, hey, Moses, I want you to do it. No. Moses, no. Moses, no. 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 Five times in a row, he makes an excuse. I mention this because sometimes people say things like this. God would never ask me to do something that I'm scared of. He would never ask me to do something that I can't handle. To the contrary, in the Bible, God almost always asks people to do things that they can't handle on their own. In the Bible, when God calls people to do something, almost always their initial reaction is fear and they're scared. So I just want to say that if there is a challenge in front of you today, a course of action, a road that if you walk down, you might bless other people, you might touch their lives, but you're scared to do it, you might not want to say no to that, 
Because the reality is, the thing that you sense God asking you to do that seems scary is probably exactly from God, and it's not just in your head. I'll go a step further. If there hasn't been challenges in your life lately that are so great that you can't do it on your own, you may not even be listening to God very much. If you haven't felt scared in a long time, it's a real possibility that you've been sitting in this chair and rocking away just a little bit too long. I've never known anyone in my life who had a strong, vibrant, bold faith in God that led an easy, comfortable, easy, lazy boy type of faith. Because the chair does not build a person's faith in a way that's worth having, and it doesn't build a life that's worth living. Nobody ever sits in this chair, folks, and they get to the end of their life and they go, Remember all those memories I had in the chair. When God calls, almost always, the initial response is, I'm scared. They feel inadequate. There's a sense of fear. Here's the third component. But God always gives a promise. God always gives a promise. God always gives reassurance. Now, the striking thing is, is that when God calls people to do something, their first response often is resistance or fear. And God never reacts by saying, okay, I understand. It's scary. You don't have to do it. Don't worry about it. No big deal. I'll get somebody else. Folks, God knows that people will get scared, and so what he does is he makes promises. That guy named Gideon that I was telling you about earlier who felt inadequate because he didn't have a family that was very strong, this is what God calls him. He calls him to defeat the army, and this is what God says. This little whiny little guy, uh, God turns to him and says, The Lord is with you. What's it say? Mighty warrior. Joshua, the guy who goes into the promised land, when God turns to him, he says, Have not I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Some of you probably should cut that scripture out when you get home and put it up on your dash or put it in your pocket that God is with you wherever you go this week. Jesus said, don't worry, not one sparrow, what do they cost? Two for a penny? Can fall to the ground without your heavenly Father knowing it. And the very hairs of all your head are all numbered. God promises. He says that I am going to be with you always. I'll care for you. I'll take care of you. But it doesn't mean that God says nothing bad is ever going to happen to your life. I want to read to you the words of the Apostle Paul a guy who uh, wrote over half of the New Testament and is considered by many to be the closest follower of Jesus. And he had a lot of bad things happen to him. In fact, this is what Paul writes. He said, Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night, a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from my false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. God never promises you that if you follow Him, that life will be easy. You might suffer, you might hurt, you might die. But those of us who follow Christ, He says, I give promises that I'm with you always. In fact, Paul gives maybe the greatest promise ever. In Romans it says that, I am convinced 
The same guy that had all these things done to him. This is what he said. He said, I am convinced that nothing, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything, nothing in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing is able to separate you from God's love. He watches over you all the time. And God will guard your heart and your mind. And then He will guard you even as you go to heaven. Nothing separates you from the love of God. Here's the final component. The initial call. There's a response. God gives a promise. And finally, a decision is made. And folks, you've got to decide. And it doesn't really matter how inadequate you feel or how much uh, fear you have that you're going to fail. I mean, of course you're going to feel inadequate. What matters most is, are you going to say yes to God or are you going to say no to God? And just remember that only people who say yes to God and to the challenge of that risk, only those people ever really feel fully alive. Because they're living out what their Creator created them to be. Comfort never makes anybody feel fully alive to their tiptoes. It never does. It never does. When I was in uh, middle school, my dad had a conference. And uh, I'm a PK, a pastor's kid, so it was a church conference. Usually I got in trouble most of the time, but this was a week I did halfway decent. And uh, the conference was at Southern Illinois University. And uh, during the day, he would go to meetings, and they had events, things for middle school students. And uh, one of the things they gave us was a pass in which you could go to any of the sports rec facilities uh, on campus. And so a buddy of mine and I went to uh, this brand-new Olympic-sized pool that they had just built. And we walked inside as middle-aged school kids, and we look up, and there are these huge Olympic-sized platform diving platforms that they you know, jump off. We're like, dude, this is awesome. We've got to do this. And so we run, you know, back to uh, our, the dorm we were staying at, get our swim trunks on. We come back, and we walked in, and it was just amazing to see these three platforms that were there. And at the pinnacle of the pool was the highest platform, 33 feet high. Immediately, we were like, we've got to jump off of these. And so we run, and we get to the first platform, and uh, it was five meters high, 16 and a half feet. And we jump off that, get out of the water, like, hey, no problem. We climb up to the next one. It's 7.5 meters, around 25 feet. My friend, who is a lot more dangerous than I am, goes head first with a big old, you know, uh, uh, what do they call those? Cannonballs. Boom! I think, I'm not doing that, you know? I kind of get up to the ledge, and I just, whoo, jump off. I'm thinking at that point we're done, you know, and my buddy comes out, and he's like, man, that was awesome. I'll never, refilled, I'll never forget him saying this. He said, let's nail the big boy. And I didn't quite share his same level of excitement. But in middle school, you know, you don't want to be called a sissy boy. Or back in those days, Saturday Night Live had this thing called Girly Mon, you know. And you just didn't want to be that. So I was like, okay, I'll do it. And we climbed up, you know, and I'm scared just climbing. And I get to the top, and we come out to the ledge of this platform. And they had, you know, it's always bad when they have rails up there. Like they don't have those on regular diving boards, but they have them for this. And you get out to the bottom, and... My friend, like, gets to the ledge. He's like, man, this is awesome, isn't it? And I'm like, yeah. 
And I look down, and there's 33 feet, folks, between me and death, you know? And uh, yet, when I looked over the edge, I was like kind of fully alive. And then he pushed me in. (laughs) No, actually, I jumped voluntarily, okay? But what matters, folks, is when you get to the ledge of something, it doesn't really matter how inadequate you feel or you don't feel. What really matters, when you get to the ledge of things in your life, the question really becomes, will you say yes or will you say no to God? So let me ask you this morning, what is it that you are right on the ledge of and God is asking you to take the jump, but you're not so sure? Maybe it's someone in your life that you need to confront. You need to tell them the truth, but you're just scared. Maybe God's calling you to investigate a whole new job direction, but it feels comfortable where you're at right now, but God is calling you to do that, and you're afraid. Maybe you're holding on to some money right now, really, really tightly, and you think it's all about you, and God's saying, why don't you give it away? And you're afraid. For some of you, maybe there's a secret sin in your life that no one in this room, the person beside you doesn't even know about it, but you know about it and how shameful it is, and you're so scared that it's going to get public, and every once in a while you think, you know what, I'll go to CR, I'll give it a try, but I'm fearful, I'm scared, and so you're not so sure, and God's saying, why don't you take the step, why don't you do it? For some of you, maybe your marriage is stagnant and you want to tell your spouse, your husband or your wife, hey, this is what I think we should do, but you're scared. For some of you, last Sunday was the biggest Sunday of your life. You came back this week because you laid your ladder down and you said, well, if I did it once, maybe I'll do it twice. And now God's asking you, I want you to take another step now. Will you grow? That you would say, I'll do whatever it takes. That I will, uh, you know, start reading the Bible. That I'll get connected to a small group. That I'll do whatever it takes to grow closer to the one who knows me most and loves me best. Folks, God is asking some of you to get out of this chair and to say yes to something within your life. And every time that you say yes to God, especially in a difficult situation, what happens is you change a little bit. You grow a little bit more. You get more courage. But the opposite is true as well, folks. Whenever you say no to God, things change. There's a story in the Bible about a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus. And he has followed all the Ten Commandments. He has lived a righteous life, more than all of us in this place, maybe even combined. And everything is good, and everything's going well. And Jesus tells him this. He says, then there's only one thing left to do. So everything that you own, and give it all to the poor. You'll have riches in heaven, then come and follow me. He says, it's going to be unbelievable. Give everything you can. And poor children who are starving tonight will go to bed fed because... You took care of their hunger. And the rich young man stands in the presence of Jesus for I don't know how long, and he thinks to himself, what am I going to do? But he has money. He has power. He has a lazy boy chair that's really, really comfortable, and he says no. And folks, every time you say no to God, your heart gets a little harder. Your hearing gets a little bit less, and your faith grows weaker, and you become addicted to the chair. And so the question that I want to ask you today is, will you say yes, or will you say no to God? Last thing. When you walked in today, uh, some of you, uh, all of you, should have received a little handout that looks like this. It says on the top, uh, JAR 2.0. If you could pull that out just for a second. At the beginning of the year, uh, we felt as a church that God was calling us to dream bigger, dream bigger than we ever had before. And um, this is what the dream was. 
The vision of the jar is to dream of a place where we embrace the outcast, encourage the broken, and empower the poor. It is a dream of being outward focused as we share the good news of Jesus Christ with thousands of residents in Muncie, Delaware County, and all of East Central Indiana. It's a dream of 800 partners growing together in spiritual maturity through small groups as we serve together, worship together, play together, and live life together. It is a dream of having a healing center that provides free medical care, counseling, job coaching, and a food pantry to help join God in holistic healing. It is a dream of having 200 people a part of a recovery program. It is a dream of having a growing effective children's and student ministry with a summer camp experience connected to it. It is a dream of having transportation uh, ministry that helps the least of these have transportation to worship the Most High God in our community. It is a dream of uh, sending out hundreds of people out on short-term missions all around the world. It is a dream of starting at least one new daughter church. It is a dream of having our own land on 20 acres. And I stood up at the beginning of the year, and we shared this dream, and people were excited. And you know what, folks? This is not a safe dream. This is not a lazy boy dream. If you want a church where you're going to sit in the chair and just receive all the time and not get your hands dirty and not live in community and not be with other people, this probably isn't the comfortable place you want to be in. But if you want to be in a place where there's going to be adventure and God's going to be on the move and things are going to be happening and this dream will no longer just be a dream, but it will be a reality one day, this is where you're at. Take off your uh, you know, shoes, get plugged in and say it's time to go. Take off the shoes that you're wearing right now Put on your running shoes and say, it's time. And some people have started doing that. One of the areas that we have right here is that we want to care for people who are going through hurts in their life. And on May 10th, a couple of people said, you know what, there are a lot of people that are grieving from death. We want to help people who are hurting. And so on May 10th, there will be a small group that's meeting to do that. There's a, there's a couple right now that are looking at divorce care ministry. We know that one out of every two of you that sit out here have gone through divorce, if not more. We want to be able to care for those things. And so we're working at how we can do that. I just found out this last week, we've been praying for it for a while, but starting right after school, we're going to have a soft start to a high school ministry. And in the fall, we're going to have high school ministry for the first time ever here at the JAR. Another person came up to me and said, there are women in our church who are single at church and they're single at home. They need some experiences where it's just women. And so this woman said, hey, I'm thinking about a women's ministry. And we hope to kind of share that coming up. There's another person who has a child who has some... uh, uh, disabilities. And they said, what would it be like if we had a prom for like as many people as we could afford to do and do, and all of these people who were handicapped from our perspective, but look lovely in God's perspective, but they have a disability, whether mental or physical, what if we got all those people together and we had a prom? And I said, go for it. 26 people were trained this year on how to share their faith through walk across the room. A team was built and people are sharing faith. Our attendance at Celebrate Recovery has doubled after the first year. And I met with the team this Friday and they're like, how can we do it better? How can we be more strategic? How can we focus more? Last week, we baptized eight people. Our goal this year is 25. We're halfway through. We have have uh, 13. We are up 13% in our attendance. And maybe some of you walked in today and you look behind you and like, there aren't very many chairs back there. Eventually the chairs will be going back, but you know why? It's not going to be because of this guy up here. It's going to be because of some of you come to the ledge of faith. And you know what? You say, you know what? I'm ready to take the jump. I'm not going to play it safe anymore. Folks, one day you entered into this world. And one day you will leave it. 
You have no control over those two things. But the thing that you have most control over, folks, is what are you going to do with your dash? So in between that first day and that last day, and you're here for a reason today, it's not by circumstance that you're here. What are you going to do with your dash? Let's stand for closing prayer. And if you'd like prayer for anything, there'll be a couple people up here to pray uh, with you. And so, um, if you have prayers for anything, come on up. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for what you did in this place today. Um, It's a little bit hot in here today. Some of us probably have been distracted by that or something else, whatever it is. But God, I pray that as people leave from this place, that even right now through the power of your Holy Spirit, that that question of what am I going to do with my dash would not go away from them. I pray, God, that you wake them up in the middle of the night, during the day at work, wherever it is, God, because I feel so passionately that you are calling the jar to go into a place we've never gone before. And these are your people who you're calling. And you're just asking them, will you jump off the ledge and into my arms and then give myself away to the rest of Muncie and Delaware County and all of East Central Indiana. So God, come now and bless us as we leave from this place. And let us know that you are a God who is always with us wherever we go. We pray this so that your name would be made great. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place.